0: Please take a copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Kings chapter 21. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll turn to page 328. In our evening series here this spring, we're looking at of the righteous kings of Hezekiah and Josiah, their reign here in Second Kings. Tonight, uh, we will look at the kings that came in between. And they were not righteous. Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, uh, we'll mainly focus on him tonight, and then Manasseh's son, Amon. Manasseh's reign is from 697 B.C. to 642 B.C. Scholars believe that part of that time, at least the first 10 years, he was co-regent with his father, Hezekiah. It's the longest reign of any of the kings of Judah, and he is clearly the most wicked king in Judah. So let us come to God's word tonight and ask him, to minister to us through His Word. Look with me now. 2 Kings chapter 21. Hear the Word of God. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hezba. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations who the Lord drove out Before the people of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, and he burned his son as an offering. And used fortune telling and omens, and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking Him to anger. And the carved image of the Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, "In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander." Any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. And the Lord said by his servant the prophets, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hear it will tingle, and I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria. In the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. Wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage. And give them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and provoked me to anger since the day of their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides the sins that he made Judah to sin, so that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he committed are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah. And Amon, his son, reigned in his place. Amon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshelmeth and the daughter of Haraz of Joppa. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. And he abandoned the Lord the God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Amon conspired against him and put the king to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who conspired against King Amon. And the people of the land made Josiah his son, king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. Amen. That ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write, It's eternal truth on all our hearts. Roger Ellsworth tells a story of a student who once went to his professor and complained about his low grade on his paper. And he said, I did not deserve this grade. And the professor said, I know, but we don't have any lower grades to give you, so that's the one I gave you. Well, that's what we have here at Manasseh, isn't it? Of all the kings of Judah is the only one that his sin is included in his obituary, which we just read in verse 17 of chapter 21. The author of Kings here is presenting a clear case, laying out the evidence that Judah's guilt was such that they righteously received judgment and exile, which happened in 586 B.C. The writer's demonstrating that the people along with the king were exceedingly evil. Now, their evil is identified in in two categories. One in which there's more time spent on. In verses 1 through 9, we see their evil idolatry. And then in verse 16, we see the shedding of innocent blood. So in verses 1 through 9, let's think about how exceedingly evil they were in their idolatry idolatry is worshiping a false god and not the true god there's a theme that runs throughout first and second kings here in verse two it says that they worshiped idols just like the nations around them just like the nations around them then verse three hezekiah Manasseh's father had torn down the high places. High places were where those who didn't know the true God, they thought you'd go up on a mountain and be closer to the deity. And they built altars and places of worship. Hezekiah tore them down during his reign. His son rebuilt the high places. then again in verse 3, he reintroduces and as order of the state allows for and promotes in institutes, Baal and Asherah worship. Now, Baal and Asherah worship, it was uh, a a trap for the Israelites. This was supposed to be a fertility god. And so there was a, a carnal attraction to the practices of a fertility god, but also there was a practical draw to a fertility god because you wanted crops to grow And so we don't know exactly what an Asherah pole would look like, but we can imagine that it was obscene. And here, one is put into worship. Then in verse 4, it says that altars were built in the temple. Not altars according to the instructions in Leviticus, but different altars. And then in verse 5, they're, they're worshiping the deities of the sky, the astral deities. Then verse 6, maybe this one stood out to you. The height of devotion and idolatry in the ancient world was child sacrifice. What else could demonstrate to the gods that you were serious about gaining their favor? What else could be so selfish to say that I want to control my own destiny in such a way that I would give my own child? I think we see a similar idolatry today. Then in verse 6, he consulted fortune tellers and mediums. What's tragic is that he had at least some overlap with his father Hezekiah and he saw a good and righteous king and he rejected Hezekiah as a role model he embraced all the worst role models. The Canaanites and their worship and actually it says that he exceeded them in worshiping idols. Jeroboam in, in raising up the high places. Ahab in promoting Baal worship. Ahaz in practicing child sacrifice. And then did you catch it there with the fortune tellers and the necromancers and the medians? It's He's imitating the first king of Israel, King Saul, when he was at his his lowest, heading towards his descent, when Saul himself sought out a medium and necromancer. And in doing so, the writer is making it clear this is exceedingly evil. This is the place, these things are happening where God placed his name on the temple. The temple where God's presence dwelt, where the Ark of the Covenant was, so much of what we thought about this morning, the place in which atonement was paid, the place in which prayers were received, the place that represented God's presence and His promise, now idolatry is replaced. But it's not just the idolatry. In verse 16, look back there with me. It said, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood, so till he filled Jerusalem from one end to another. There's hints of it throughout the passage, but here we see that the majority of the people are not resistant to Manasseh and his, his ways. They're following with him. They're following his lead. And those who rejected his practices, those who would have stood up for righteousness... He slaughtered. They were more than just his political opponents. They were religious opponents. And those who would have remained faithful to God, he killed. And he killed many, but many were with him. In verse 10, we're told that the Lord sends prophets to to speak a word of judgment against Manasseh. If you remember in the story of Hezekiah, who's the main prophet? It's almost equally the story of the prophet Isaiah. And we would expect that it would be Isaiah, maybe, who would come and bring the word of judgment. We can't be certain of this. It's extra biblical, but there's a tradition that goes way back that says Manasseh killed Isaiah. That under Manasseh's reign, Isaiah was sawn in two. And it's referenced, believed in Hebrews 11, verse 37. Tonight, in our congregational meeting, we're going to vote on elders and deacons. There's a warning for leaders in the church. As a warning for congregations in choosing leaders. Choose those who are committed to holiness. Submitted to the Word of God. Remembering that 1 Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Consecration, devotion, faithfulness, Holiness. It's a community project. Leaders leading in the way of righteousness. Congregations demanding that they be led according to God's word in the way of righteousness. Because here we can see that wickedness and tolerance for sin snowball and infect many and lead to great and terrible judgment. This is an exceedingly evil king for an exceedingly evil people. But in this passage, that's not all that's on display. In here we do see an incomparable God. We see here that the God of the Bible is incomparably righteous in His judgment. In verse 13, there's the image of He's he's wiping the plate. What does He do with such a wicked people that He says, I will wipe them out? He says in verse 14, I will forsake. He is making it clear that What is coming against them is not because there's greater armies and there's not because there's greater gods than him, but it is his doing. But it is not cruel. It is just. In verse 11, he said, my people are committing worse idolatry than the nations around them. And then in verse 13, he references the judgment that had already come to Samaria And against Ahab's reign. And he said, I judged them. I held up a plumb line. A plumb line was what the the builder would use to make sure something was standing upright. And they were crooked. And so I took them out. And if I did that to them, I'll do it to Judah too. Because he is incomparably righteous in his judgment. Always righteous in his judgment. It is not cruel what is coming against Judah. It is just. Now it's a temporal judgment, but this applies to eternal judgment. It does. We need to step back and think about who our God is, His holiness and His infinite majesty, and then it's easy to understand that why any sin against that God deserves eternal conscious torment. Hell is not cruel is just. But particularly this language of giving over and I will forsake, the Lord hints at that even in that judgment being meted out, He has designs for it. In Deuteronomy 30, when the curses for breaking the covenant come, the Lord explicitly says, in order to get their attention. I'm paraphrasing. It's the purpose of excommunication. Of disciplining and removing, in a sense, forsaking, in order to get someone's attention that they may be recovered. It's not just that God is righteous in His judgment. We see that He is incomparably patient with His sinners. This helps us see just how righteous He is the longest reign of all the kings, 55 years. And God is patient with Manasseh. But he has even a longer period in view. Look at verse 15. Because they have done what is evil in my sight and provoked me to anger since the day of their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. To this point, you're talking about 700 years Of patience. God has shown his people. And they have constantly turned to idols. 700 years. And in that period he has. Delivered them from Egypt. Provided for them in the wilderness. Dwelt among them in the tabernacle. And then the temple. Has given his law. This is a righteous judgment. And that's further supported by the patience of God with his people. Now, the writer of Kings leaves the story here. Like I said, the writer of Kings leaves Manasseh's sin in his obituary. And the writer of Kings says, here is the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the line that's been crossed. And exile and forsakenness is coming. But if we look at the whole of scripture that tells us a little other piece about Manasseh's life, we see that the God of the Bible is incomparably merciful. 2 Chronicles 33:10 10-13 says this, and The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the kings of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. Now this is decades before the final exile. Verse 12, And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him. And God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. Now, some of you in here want to say, no, that's not the end we want for Manasseh. Look at all the harm he's done. We want him to rot in hell. The Lord shows him mercy. And he dies knowing the Lord. His life caused much trouble, pain, heartache, and judgment. And at some point, when he himself is afflicted, and when he himself is carried away, maybe it was then that he stopped wanting to be like Ahab and Ahaz and Jeroboam and the Canaanites. And he remembered his righteous dad, Hezekiah. When Hezekiah was in distress and in trouble and he called out to the Lord and the Lord rescued him. And the Lord shows a man who doesn't deserve any kindness, incredible mercy. Every generation must decide to serve the Lord from themselves. And many of us here have watched those of another generation walk away from the Lord. Hezekiah didn't see all of Manasseh's reign. He, He probably saw enough to know that he was heading in the wrong direction. But in the end, Hezekiah's faithful witness was a means of pointing Manasseh to repentance. Brothers and sisters, if you have dear children who have wandered from the Lord, live faithful, trust in Him, abide in Him, cry out to Him, and maybe the Lord will be kind to them and let them hit rock bottom. And when they have nowhere else to turn, they will remember your example of crying out to the Lord, and they themselves will throw themselves upon His mercy. After all, this is the God who when He forsakes His people in judgment, it is only for a period. And who will forsake His own Son in order to extend mercy to sinners like you and I. Let us pray. Our Lord, this is, Lord, a disturbing passage. The Lord, it is the wonder of the good news of the gospel That no sinner is beyond the reach of your mercy and grace. And that if you could show mercy to someone like Manasseh, who offered up his own sons and burned them on altars to false gods, then you can save sinners like us. May we receive this word with faith and with love. May we lay it up in our hearts. And may we practice it in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.